So what I thought in my head is like, oh, you know, what? I just paid this coach 10 grand. It makes absolutely no sense to argue with them or fight them. You already paid a bunch of money. You might as well just do what they say. What someone really has to do is they have to be honest with themselves and first say, am I working as hard as I possibly can? Right? Like, am I waking up early? Am I going to bed late? Am I doing everything, everything they say? Am I asking questions? Am I following up? Like, are you doing every single thing possible? Like your life's on the line. You don't make a sale this week. Someone's going to do something bad to you. Are you doing that? I think that's what I did. I mean, I paid five coaches in a row and my mindset was like, if these guys are making money this way, like it has to be able to work. What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet again, another edition of the None of Your Business podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Dill, missing Lacey book today. But the reason why we're doing it this way is because we have the opportunity to bring to you a super special guest. And we wanted to uh, honor his schedule and his ability to coordinate. So unfortunately, Lacey's not with us for color commentary. But at any rate, you are in for a real treat. You know, I found out that we work with the same uh, PR company. You know, we talk about Chris Winfield, Jen Gottlieb, Super Connector Media. And actually, our rep there is the same, Alexa Lampasona. And she works with this individual. And I was like, holy cow, how could we not take advantage to invite him on the podcast? And so I want to bring in, because I know this is going to be absolutely amazing for all of you service providers who maybe right now are feeling like mm, it's, things are getting a little tough. You're trying to figure out how to navigate these difficult times. Well, we have someone who knows exactly how to do that because one, through experience, and two, has created an absolute rock-solid business from that experience. And I know that his story is going to inspire and motivate so many of you to reach out make a bigger impact, and create the lifestyle of your dreams. Everybody, please welcome in Tanner Chittister. He has two amazing businesses that we're going to break down. Tanner, thank you so much for jumping in. This is one of those times I work in the in the healthcare space as a chiropractor, but holy smokes, I don't think we've ever had like a fitness model on the program with us. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't uh, been putting those out for a few years, but I appreciate you having me. <laughs> um. Tell us, I, I want to dive right into the story. So I think, first of all, you know, if you're watching us on video, people are struck by your age. Um, you know, you're not, you don't have the gray hair like I do. So you have figured this out relatively quickly. And you've learned a lot of your lessons through the School of Hard Knocks. Um, roll us back to before the Tanner that had uh, found his way. Tell me what life looked like back in the uh, college days when you were trying to navigate this whole thing called life. Yeah. So when I was in college, I mean, my, my whole goal growing up was to play in the NFL. So a lot of people who see me now um, who knew me back then, I don't think they're that surprised just because they saw me take my work ethic for football and just transition it to business. 
Um, so as I was growing up, I, all I did is instead of working on my business, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, I would train, uh, my sophomore year of high school, I would actually wake up at six. I'd go live for three hours. Then I'd come home and eat and rest. And then 12 o'clock, I would do another three hours of running. And then around like six, I would do three hours of basketball. And I did that all summer just so I could make the varsity football team, uh, as like a 15 year old. So what happened is eventually football ended. I had four shoulder surgeries in a row and uh, labrum tears. So my shoulders are pretty messed up. Uh, doctors are saying, you know, enjoy your arthritis when you're older. And so when I knew I couldn't play football anymore, I transferred uh, to Texas A&M in their engineering program. I had really good grades, but I just had a day where I was sitting there and I just was not happy. And I started, you started to see the rest of your life, right? Because until that point of football, now that football was over, I'm like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I just felt extremely depressed. And I went uh, home for a little bit. I had lunch with a guy named David Fry and he's a friend of my parents. And he actually went to the same church. And for whatever reason, he just decided to take me to lunch. And we started talking about school and jobs and you know, he asked me what my goals were and, you know, I said, well, I just want to make a bunch of money. And he's like, so why are you going to school? And I was like, you know, like, what do you mean? And long story short, he actually convinced me to leave A&M, which was super scary decision. My entire family was against it. My ex-girlfriend actually, and her and her mom called me some very colorful words. They were not a fan. And I did it anyways. And over the next two years, I basically worked in his office for free. He didn't pay me, but he started teaching me a lot of skills about funnels and emails and opt-in pages, a lot of stuff that maybe beginners don't even recognize the words. I, I used to you know, ask him, why do they call it an opt-in page? Why don't they just call it a page with a place to put your email? You know, And he's like, Tanner, just learn it. <laughs> so uh, over those next two years, I actually built my first product. It was uh, priced at $47. I did every single part of the business. I set up the sales page. I wrote the copy. I did the opt-ins. I set up the back-end automation, the purchase buttons. I did it all. And it was an absolute flop. I sold about $2,000 worth of product in two years. But uh, at the time, I didn't know this. It really started to lead me it really gave me the knowledge I needed that actually helped me when I finally found the right path. So two years go by, I'm now about 25 and I'm at the point where I'm starting to think, man, if I don't figure it out this year, I got to go back to school because I was starting to look stupid. And my family was like, you know, it's not working. You might need to go back to school. So I got a job as a door to door salesman, which was absolutely miserable. But again, looking back, it taught me how to sell better than anyone else. I mean, door-to-door -door sales is miserable. Uh, for anyone who's you know, never done door-to-door -door sales, it's the hardest job on earth because any excuse you can think of, they can throw at you because you're not supposed to be at their house. Um, so I did that and then I saw an ad on Facebook. Um, some people watching this, they may unfortunately get bombarded by my ads. But I saw an ad and it was like, hey, how to create a fitness business. And, you know, I was like, what do I have to lose? I clicked on it, got on the call and they sold me a $5,000 package. And I had two grand in my bank account, I think. And I paid three grand on a credit card. And basically when I got in that course, they, they I didn't, I don't feel like I learned a lot. I think I already had a lot of skills that most people didn't have. 
And I just said, okay, so basically all I have to do is get people on a phone call and then sell them a high price program, right? They're like, yeah. So instead of selling something for 47 bucks, you know, sell for two or three grand. My first week I made $10,000, which was triple what I was making in a month. So I, I was like, I was like elated, but I was also upset at myself because I felt like you're telling me I was this close the whole time and that's all I had to do. And at that point I quit all my jobs. <clears throat> I moved back home to live at my parents' house. Uh, and basically the only reason my parents allowed it is because they knew what I was trying to do. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to spend every last dollar I have on paid traffic to really grow this business. And uh, they didn't see me hardly ever. I mean, I was in a 300 foot square room in their house and my dad actually, he made jokes like, hey son, like haven't seen you in a week. Like how are things? <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. My first year I made a million, second year I did about 11. And then this year we've, we're gonna finish around 15. And then next year I'm projecting about 22. So, um, you know, I, I, I wish I'd recorded it so people could see it because it's one thing to hear it, but man, if I had been, I wish I had recorded the whole experience because I don't think people would believe kind of like what I went through and what it looked like, especially the door to door. I mean, I had people pulling knives on me and all kinds of stuff. It was crazy, but that that's the, that's the long story. Not so short. <laughs> so, so what is it that, what was the product initially at $47 and then what is the product today that you sell? Yeah. So it was called the rapid muscle system. And I think that was a bad idea because most people care about weight loss. And then I just also didn't know how to get eyeballs. I mean, a lot of the people I work with are just business owners in general. They're all awesome at what they do. They're all very passionate. They just can't get eyeballs. And if you can't get eyeballs, no one can buy your stuff. Uh, what the offer is now today is I transition to same, same offers, just personalized one-to-one -one fitness coaching, customized meal plans, training, personal contact. Um, where I'd usually sell a $3,000, $3,500 package for four months on average. I actually have some clients who sell as high as 6,000. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and then my other offer that I do now is as that business was growing, I had a bunch of trainers come to me and say, Hey dude, like, how are you making all this money? Like you're a trainer. I'm like, yeah. And they, they started seeing like I had a nicer car and stuff like that. And so they're like, can I pay you? And I, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. Like I already have all the stuff set up. You just need to see it. That business blew up. And then at that point I just kept having more and more people. So it just naturally progressed over to business consulting. I never actually wanted to be a business consultant. Uh, but you know, when people start asking you and they're willing to pay you a bunch of money, I was like, okay, like this just is naturally happening. It makes sense. And so those are kind of my two businesses I have going today. So what, what's the name of the uh, fitness one, the, the, the fitness program? Yeah, so it's called, it's, it's called Fit Warrior. Uh, the company is legally registered as Fit Warrior, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Fit Warrior LLC. Um, and we still run it. It's at a much smaller scale now, not because uh, I don't love it. It's just, you know, it's, it's like when someone says you, you try to do too many things at once, you can't really do you can't be very good at anything. So we still run it. It's at a smaller scale just because um, the margins and how much I can charge are much higher in the business consulting space. Um, I could go back now and do it, but there's that. And then the other company is called Elite CEOs. Elite CEOs is fitnessceos.com. Yeah, so Elite CEOs is the business consulting. That's a, 
EliteCOs.com and then Elite okay. Yeah, and then the other company is Fit Warrior, and that would just be like FitWarrior.com. So everybody that's checking this out, go to EliteCEOs.com, especially if you want to mesh uh, Tanner's ideas and <laughs> life lessons to your business. So you don't have to be in the fitness space. No, and, and that's that's actually uh, it's, I'm still trying to fight that dogma a little bit because yeah. I was so heavy in the fitness space. Yeah. That uh, and I helped so many trainers that even to this day, people are like, oh, I wish I was a trainer. And I'm like, guys, I help a lot of trainers, but I've, I actually help uh, any type of business now just because the demand has gotten so big that I just had to. It just made sense. Um, but obviously, I do have a fitness background. And so I do get a lot of trainers. I'd say like 50 percent of my clients are trainers and then 50 percent of the other consultants are, you know, anywhere from like agencies to real estate, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. I mean, you know, coming myself being a chiropractor by profession, it's the exact same fight, right? So the majority of our clients are like, Oh, you're a chiropractor, you have a franchise. And so they want to consult with us. And likewise, probably people that have watched my work um, are like already thinking there's plenty of opportunities where we could probably help each other out to cross uh, germinate you into some of the healthcare space with your expertise because um, the principles are the same. And speaking of that, what do you think are some of your greatest lessons that you've brought forward um, that you learned that helped you to grow that might not even be or, or actually are not related to the fitness industry? What are the greatest business lessons that you've applied um, on your journey? Yeah, so the I mean, the number one lesson, the number one thing that took me and just skyrocketed me was when I started online marketing, everyone, I mean, even to this day, uh, everyone is big on webinars, right? And on paper, um, a webinar sounds great. You know, it's like, hey, just run an ad, they'll click over, they're gonna watch the webinar and they're gonna sign up for a call and then you sell them for a huge program. And I was like, hell yeah, like I want that. Um, but after I spent about $50,000 on coaches, right, about 10 grand a piece, and running, you know, about $20,000 of traffic, I, I hadn't gotten any farther. And I was killing myself to keep making sales organically to be able to pay these coaches because I knew if I wanted to make the money uh, that I make today, I had to figure out paid traffic. So uh, after that fifth coach, I got to a point where just in my head, because when something isn't working, there's two options. Either it's the wrong path or you're just not very smart. And some people, they can't accept either one, but that's really the truth. Like either you're doing the wrong thing or you just can't execute. So after the fifth coach, I took a chance and said, hey, you know what? I've done everything they said. It hasn't worked. I've done it five times. Maybe this isn't the right path. So let me try this. And all I really did is I put a barrier between the ad and the webinar where they go into Messenger and what it allowed me to do is if they clicked, if they went in Messenger and they clicked over and watched the video and signed up, great. But if they didn't, I was able to go back in there and re-engage. And because I'd done door-to-door -door sales, I've been a server, I've been a collegiate athlete, I was very good at conversing and knowing what to say and what not to say. And in that first week, I think I made about 20 grand from paid ads and I spent like three. And then that was when I was like, oh my gosh, I just figured it out, I'm gonna be rich. <laughs> I remember telling my parents, I was like, dad, I just figured it out. I, like, I'm going to be rich. Like I just figured it out. And so one of the biggest things I try to do with my clients is get them to understand that marketers jobs is to make everything sound easy. 
and to make it sound like anyone can do it, right? And you have to, there's a very hard line between like being dishonest and honest. And so what I just tell my clients is I'm going, look, my job as a coach is to help you get results even if you have very little skill, right? Everyone doesn't, everyone thinks they're awesome at what they do, but the reality is some people are not, or they haven't had a lot of experience. And so the reason I like that process is it helps someone who maybe isn't as good on the phone, doesn't have the strongest video presentation, doesn't have a lot of uh, good marketing skills, doesn't write good copy, all those things that are super important for most marketers to be successful. And it allows them to get away with a lot of stuff. Because if their video isn't perfect or, or you know, their copy isn't that good, if, if they can learn how to message properly, which I think is a learnable skill, just like arithmetic, it makes up for that. And so even today I've had people go, man, Tanner, like your funnels aren't even that great, honestly. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> because it's not about the funnel, it's all about the follow-up and uh, just getting enough people through. And so I've built my whole ecosystem and team around that process. And I think that's why I thrive because most people aren't willing to do it. And it takes a little bit of skill to scale, right? I had to build a whole team and process around. So sorry if I'm uh, going on too long, but that, that's no, not at all. This that, is great. That's the number one thing I learned because that's the whole reason I'm successful. I think uh, if I didn't figure that out or implement that, I, I wouldn't have ever made what I've made today. I love the idea of either you're doing the wrong thing or you're not very good at it. How do you how do you decide if you are doing the wrong thing or you're just not that good? Yeah, so that's the hardest thing because a client always thinks that you suck and they're right and the coach usually thinks they suck and they're right. So <laughs> what I would usually tell someone is like for me when I was doing it in my head the way I think I'm just very logical. Two plus two is four, three plus three is six. Like, so what I thought in my head is like, you know what, I just paid this coach 10 grand. It makes absolutely no sense to argue with them or fight them. And, um, you know, I get about 125 to 150 high ticket clients a month. Uh, you know, so anything you can think of that a client might do, I've already been through it. And I've never understood clients who will argue after they've paid you a bunch of money. I'm like, you already paid a bunch of money. You might as well just do what they say. Um, so I guess to answer your question, what someone really has to do is they have to be honest with themselves and first say, am I working as hard as I possibly can, right? Like, am I waking up early? Am I going to bed late? Am I doing everything, everything they say? Am I asking questions? Am I following up? Like, are you doing every single thing possible? Like your life's on the line. You don't make a sale this week. Someone's going to do something bad to you. Are you doing that? Most of the time people are not, but if you are, and then you, you do that with like, let's say at least two coaches, right? And you have a similar experience at that point, maybe then you can say, Hey, it's a strategy, but I think that's what I did. I mean, I paid five coaches in a row and my mindset was like, if these guys are making money this way, like it has to be able to work. Right. And to a degree it does. There are people who run webinars very efficiently but it wasn't working for me and i tried it five times i was like you know what i played division one football i did petroleum engineering like i've done some hard stuff so and i've listened to everything they said maybe let me try this and so um 
I would just say my path is easier. It's easier for someone to master who has less skill. And it allowed me to scale past all those coaches. I mean, anyone I've hired at this point, I think I've scaled past them quickly. So just to wrap it up, I, I just think what people have to do is they have to just tell themselves they're doing it wrong to start and don't question the process. And if they do everything they possibly feel like they can do, and it happens at least twice, can't be your first coach. That's just, you can't do it. But if you have at least two times and it's similar process, it's not working, then maybe you can try something else. But most people, um, they just quit too soon or they don't realize that they're not good at what they say. So for example, if you go up to a girl in a bar, right? You can't say weird stuff and expect to get her number, but people, yet people think if they say that to a prospect, well, why aren't they signing up with me? Well, I mean, did you see what you said? And that's kind of the hard thing for people to acknowledge because it's, it's, it's hard to admit it's your fault. Um, but that, that would be my advice. I know that's drawn out, but you just kind of have to tell yourself that the coach is right and you're wrong until you've done it enough to where you can start to question it. For me, I was like, I just spent $50,000 and $20,000 on ads, I have, I have sucked it up long enough. I need to try something else. And um, that's what I did. So, I mean, that, that reminds me, like, in a lot of people have heard me tell the story when we first started coaching with Jay Abraham, we literally spent the first six months with him trying to not do what he was telling us to do. Like, he would tell <laughs> us something and we would try and figure out, like, a way to kind of do it. And it wasn't until we decided, like, look, with the amount of money that we're investing, why don't we just do exactly what yeah. he's saying? And then we started seeing results. Mm -hmm. But I like this idea. You're talking about, you know, you went through our difficult times in your life, or maybe not like difficult, like you were, you know, homeless. I see the ET poster in the background. So maybe not that type of difficulty, but, you know, challenges. But right now, and I, I want this to be evergreen because who knows who, when somebody will watch this, this, this video or listen to this podcast. But right now, especially in the world, a lot of people are going through challenges. And I'm sure that this is being reflected through your clients. People are coming up and, you know, a lot of businesses are suffering, especially in the service world where we have restrictions on people being able to be face to face. Um, what are some of the strategies that you have been employing to make sure that your business continues to grow? Because I see two trends, either like you, massive growth or people that are in retraction. Um, what are you doing to ensure that you grow even through a pandemic, an economic downturn, all of the things that are going on in the world? Yeah, well, so the first thing is like, I think I was set up for success for something like this. I mean, when the pandemic hit, it was, hey, we got, everyone's got to go online. You know, I've already been online full time for three years. And so when it hit, I was like, yeah, I already knew this was the best. I've been doing it. So I think in that way, I did luck out. In terms of the other stuff, um, not much not much changed this year. I wish I could say there was a bunch of stuff I did different. But honestly, I changed my messaging a little bit, my marketing a little bit. But what a lot of people, I think they get in their own way thinking that when the stock market crashes or, you know, coronavirus hit or the presidential election, whatever, oh my gosh, no one's going to buy right now. Da, 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 da. And the reality is like, even if that's all true, you still kind of have to fight through it. So something that I just think I'm really good at mentally is I don't really worry about what's happening outside of my control because it's somewhat irrelevant. Um, like Q4 is a little slower for service providers. 
we just had the presidential election. Uh, you know, Corona has been going on since it feels like forever. It feels like the normal now. Uh, but I just kind of keep doing my same thing. I, I know what my numbers need to be in my business. I know what my lead cost needs to be, my booking costs, my sales costs. And I just keep trying to hone that in. And uh, until Q4, nothing really slowed down. Q4 is always a slower time in general. But I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could tell you I changed a bunch of stuff, but I really didn't. Things kind of kept going just as they had. And, and part of that, I think, is I'm online and I help people transition online. So it actually is like perfect with Corona in the sense that my offer matches what's been happening in the market. But uh, I would say, I would say overall, just most people get in their own way because they see stuff slowing down or other people struggling and mentally, I don't know. I think they kind of feel like, Oh, well that should be happening to me too. I don't know. I, I just think, I just think the biggest thing is sales is sales, meaning that it just comes down to convincing someone to buy your stuff. So if someone isn't buying your stuff, I just focus on those things. What do I need to say or what are the objections we're getting that I need to talk about more to get people to buy my stuff? And and I'm just really good at honing that in and having a good team around me. So I wish I could get more practical advice, but I mean, it's right, just, well, I, I, I think you said some, you, you've mentioned this a couple of times and I, I think this is actually very insightful. Um, one, you built a business model that was, in essence, you know, and it gets thrown around so much, recession-proof. But and whether you did it intentionally or not, it, it's proven to be recession-proof, right? Like you are already online and people people do buy, especially if you're selling something that um, can, can surpass the need versus want barrier. Um, people need to be successful in their business. They need traffic, whether it's paid or not. You've got to get traffic. You need conversions. In the fitness world, people understand the value of health and if they're losing their ability to maybe go to the gym. So you, you, you have a business model that's phenomenal. You also, though, have mentioned several times this idea of building a team. And so we had the story where you were in basically a 600-square-foot room laying the foundation, but you also had the foresight to understand that you were going to need solid systems and you've built a team Tell us a little bit about um, that realization and that process of surrounding yourself with a team that would allow you to scale to these levels because, frankly, you probably couldn't do that type of revenue in a 600-square-foot room. No. So, um, yeah, the first, I mean, the first thing I'll say about building a team is like what I always find ironic or I don't want to say like funny, but somewhat humorous is, you know, you'll hear someone talk about like, oh, yeah, like, that I don't like that method, you know, this is way more like honest or this is better, whatever, whatever that may be. Right. And people don't think about scalability. So there's a difference between having a lot of money and working all the time and then having a lot of money and never working. And so what I learned early on was like, Hey, I want to make a lot of money, but I also want to be able to take a day off whatever the heck I want. And so the first thing I did was I made sure that the systems I built, could scale, right? Some people, for example, if all they do is free organic marketing, you can't scale that. Because ultimately, you can only send so many messages in a day on one Facebook page or one Instagram page until they block you, right? So that won't work. And then some people will only do referrals, but that's gonna cap out because you only have so many referrals. And so I was like, okay, I need paid traffic and I need a great follow-up system, which is kind of where those two things came from. And then 
in terms of the most difficult thing I've ever done, building a team is extremely difficult, which I understand now why some people never get to high levels because if, if it's hard for me, I just know my mindset as a person. I know that for 99% of other people, it's going to feel almost impossible. And something I didn't recognize as I built a team is I, I thought that uh, you hire them and then like that was the end of it. I was like, yeah, like they're going to do it. And like, I don't have to worry about it ever again. I would say hiring a team is more like having a child where not only are you paying them, right? Like you're feeding them, they live in your house, all that stuff, but you almost have to do the job for them for a little bit. Uh, and that was something that was really hard for me to understand because I was paying people and then I had to sit there for like the first month or two and really just like almost do the job for them or with them until they started to get it. Once I got that and I understood that's just part of building a team, it got a bunch easier, it got a lot easier. And then I found good managers. And, and that's the most important part because until you have good managers, you can't ever really take a break. Um, you need a few key people in your business who are so good at what they do and so on top of it that you just know that you can turn your back and not worry about it. Um, but I think your question, <laughs> I think your question was like, how did you do it and uh, go about it? I, I just, I just started, you know, posting on my social media networks and uh, job sites like Indeed and stuff like that. And I hired one person. I would do stuff with them every day. They could walk through stuff. I had scripts. I had training portals. And as I got one person set, then I bring on the next person, you know, and the next person. Then eventually when we had enough people, I was like, hey, I need a manager. I would take my very best performer, teach them how to manage. And, and I just kind of slowly uh, went built it as I went along. And the other thing is I would tell people just, it doesn't have to be perfect. The, uh, one of the reasons I've scaled so fast is I am just like, go, 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 go type of guy. And I'm like, we'll figure it out later. That's actually played to my advantage a lot because when I brought in a COO, we were doing around three to 400 a month. His first comment, he started laughing at me and he's like, man, your, your business is, a, you know, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word. <laughs> And he couldn't believe we were doing that because he asked me where these documents were and these scripts. He's like, oh, they're like in my Google Drive somewhere. He's like, what? He's like, where's all the stuff? I was like, yeah, it's just like in my Google Drive. And he couldn't believe how little organization we had. Um, but that's okay. So as you're growing, I just think the biggest thing is you got to find solid people and then make sure you train them because something I didn't realize early on is it's really, as a CEO, you have to always understand it's your fault. And that's really hard for some people to understand that if you hire someone and they don't perform, it's really your fault. It's your fault either because you didn't train them or you didn't hire properly. And that was really hard for me to accept. But once you start accepting that, it helps you build the systems and know what needs to go there because you have to keep asking yourself, what am I not showing them so they're not getting it? And I don't know, just to wrap up, like you got to dumb it down to where like an elementary student could come in and they could go through your stuff and they would know how to do it. And, you know, it was a learning process. Like, but yeah, I mean, building a team is essential, I think, to being wealthy and uh, being able to take a day off. It's nice to make a lot of money, but if you work all the time, it's, you know, it's kind of unfulfilling if you ask me. Oh, I've got tons of questions. I'm super excited to take you into the Black Diamond Club group here in just a second. But before sure. we jump in there, because I, the, I got the good ones. But before we leave the public platform here, um, 
you've chosen and you or you've found success in two areas that require tremendous discipline. I mean, fitness, how many people don't want to have milkshakes every day? I mean, that's my problem. Um, in, in business, how many people don't want to just, you know, take a day off? How many people want to just stay in bed, sleep in, um, go to bed early, maybe, you know, have a couple drinks at night and call it a night? Yeah. How have you stayed so disciplined in potentially two of the most difficult areas and find success in both of these literally at the same time? Well, I'll say the first thing is as I've gotten older, I've realized that a lot of people, we grow up messed up, meaning a lot of our ideas and how we think come from our parents, from school. Like now that I've gotten older, I've actually realized that a lot of the shortcomings I have and the things that trigger me are literally from the way I was treated at certain times. So, um, but on the, on the, good side, it, it helped me become who I am. So part of, to answer your question, part of it was I got made fun of quite a bit when I was a child. Uh, I was, I was really skinny and people say now they can't see it, but I was really skinny. I was a very kind of interesting kid. I grew up in a very sheltered household. I had two sisters who, you know, played dress up with me and, you know, I thought that was normal. You know, I, I was just a little boy. I was like, yeah, my sisters want to put me in a dress. That's fun. And so I got, I got bullied a lot at school. And so my outlet for that is in my head, I just was like, you know what, if I get bigger and stronger, these kids won't mess with me. And the good thing was, as I got bigger and stronger, that happened. And so in my head as a child, it reinforced the thought that, hey, if I want something to happen, and then I work hard, it will happen. Uh, the bad side is, I do have a lot of triggers from that, where sometimes like, they're not very helpful in relationships or with other people, people, because you, it gives you kind of a hard exterior. But as, as that happened, I was like, okay, let me apply this to school straight A's. Okay. Let me try to go get the girls now or go on dates. You know, I started getting dates and, and I just kept getting that reinforced and reinforced. Um, so there's that side. And then just the other side is, you know, we, I essentially say you got 80 years to live. You know, some people live more, some people live less, but, you know, average lifespan is about 80 years. Right. And there's just something inside of me. I don't know if it was, I, I think most of it came from my dad. Um, the most vivid memory I have of my father was I was 14 years old or 12, something like that. And uh, I asked my dad, I said, Hey dad, like, can I go to the movies? And he's like, yeah, sure. You can go. I was like, okay, cool. It's like, you know, it's 20 bucks. And he's like, well, do you have a job? And I was like, what? He's like, oh, I guess you can't go. And then he just walked off. Um, and and, and it, it was kind of at the time, I, I really didn't like my dad. I, I really didn't. And I was very upset because I didn't understand. But as I've gotten older, I actually appreciate that so much because it kind of gave me this mindset of like, I can have anything I want as long as I'm willing to do it. And as I've hit goal after goal after goal, especially in my business, that was you know, going from someone who's making two grand a month to now making millions of dollars a year. As you hit new levels, at least for me, it lets me know in my head that, well, if I can do this, that means I can do this. And if I can do that, then I can do that. And so it's uh, to wrap this up. It, I don't know if anyone has seen that Michael Jordan documentary, but there's a part in there where he just talks about never being satisfied, right? Like that's what made him so great because no matter what award he got or how much he won, he just wanted more. So 
the danger to that is sometimes it can lead to unhappiness because you're never satisfied, right? You always have to have the next thing. And that's something I'm working through in my personal life. But on the other hand, it always, it, it's very good for success because every day I just wake up and I just have something inside me that I think most people don't have that just pushes me to be the best person I can be. So when I die, I can look back and just be like, dude, I maximize my talents. Uh, for anyone who's like reads the Bible and stuff, they have that parable, right? About the talents that God gives the one, the five and the 10. And that's just how I view my life. And I'm not sure why, but I've never been able to relate to people who just want to get by. And, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying my way's right, but that would be the second thing is just, I just want to be the best I can be. And so every time I hit a new goal, I just like, what's next? What's next? And that's just part of my nature. So for better or worse, that's, those are my, that's my honest answer. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I have a feeling that we're going to get tons of feedback from this particular episode. You've been fantastic. Um, I'm going to wrap up the public facing side of the podcast today, the none of your business side. Um, If you're a Black Diamond Club member, I'm going to take Tanner over into the Black Diamond Club private Facebook page and we're going to break it down even further. If you're not yet a member, be sure to go to www.blackdiamondclub.com. We want to have you jump in because you get all of the behind the scenes access with each and every one of our None of Your Business guests where they're breaking down more of the nuts and bolts about how they found their success. We would love to have you. We promise we will make you feel right at home. All right, that's it for today's episode of None of Your Business. We'll be back again next week with a brand new episode helping you to reach more people, make a bigger impact, and create the lifestyle of your dreams.